Hey, what's up? Happy Monday. Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd. It's my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team for The Athletic. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Big weekend for the Canucks. Pick up three out of four points from the two weekend home games, the back-to-back set against the Blues and the Rangers, Drancer. Are you guys bearish on the Canucks? All right, get over it. Yeah, I'm wearing my bear sweater, Dom. All right. And Drances and Grizzlies gear. So a lot of Grizzly Bear stuff happening in the studio. I can bear to see it. Hey, hey, dumb. Feel free to just host the show. <laughs> Dom's Dom's uh, like, he's walking tall. He's producing 32 <laughs> thoughts, and he's just throwing his weight around at the studio right seriously, now. Seriously, go I, hibernate, bud. I, I, oh, good one. Thank that's you. That's a good one. Thank you. I was yeah. trying to come up with a bear pun, but I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's because you're in my den now, my friend. All right? <laughs> no, the um yeah, I mean, look, I know Dom wants to go the revenant on you here <laughs> and tear you up for your bear sweater, but I'm also wearing bears gear. I got yeah. my grizzlies. It's looking sharp. Starter jacket, would you call it? I think, this I think is it's a starter, starter jacket. jacket. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um warm-up jacket. Yeah, it's like know? the perfect weather for it. You know what I mean? And and in Vancouver you have such a short period of time. To wear fall mm, wear. It's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you got to take advantage. When you when you have your sick fall gear, you got to... what Stuff for that's for fall but not for rain. It's totally, very yeah, hard, yeah. It's hard to squeeze in. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, like, yeah. Within three weeks, not even, sorry. Within two weeks, we're all going to be in Gore-Tex and Blundstones for the rest of the... For the next six months. Yeah. Utter misery. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway. I, I don't have Blundstones, but I take your point. Okay, man. I'm too good to have the most practical I possible rainfall wear. I'm too good for it. I just don't have them. I'm above that. That's pawful. What do you mean? Stop What's pawful? Stop it, Dom. <laughs> Dom. <laughs> pawful. Clawful was right there, first of all. Bear claw. Better than bear paw. But anyways. <laughs> Great snack, by the way. I love a good bear paw. Oh, boy. Anyways, <laughs> people are all fired up. All right, let's get hey, into the Canucks weekend. One last one. Hey, Dom, you're the worst. There we go. That's all right. Oof. Now I'm done. Oof. Uh, okay. Three out of four points. And I think, okay, look, I know, I know, I think the overwhelming emotion, I don't know if it's carried over to today or not, but obviously, I think the overwhelming emotion on Saturday night for a lot of Canucks fans was frustration. Uh, with the you know the the play in particular in overtime that leads to the, the Rangers goal, Canucks have played in some really badly officiated games early. Yes, I mean there's no Even doubt Rick about Tocket it. Rick keeps insisting about how much he loves the refs. They're, and how they've been so great. They're killing it. They're oh doing my. a great job. I, I will say. I will say. Right. The shot on the bench of Tockett after uh, Keandre Miller scored on Saturday, I could just picture him thinking, like, I've been so nice to these guys. And they, <laughs> and they, and they go out and do that. Um, so th- have you seen there's this NFL Twitter account called the Coach Speak Index, and it rates coaches based on, like, 
what they cliches. say versus what they actually oh, okay, do. Okay. No, no, no. It's so it's like it's like this coach is seventy percent reliable mm, in discussing okay. player yep. usage. This coach is forty percent reliable in terms of discussing injuries, and it has all these different. And I'm pretty sure that Rick Tockett's like 99th percentile honest in every yep. category except, except assessing what referees. He feels about the refs. Yeah, it's like Rick Tockett is one percent honest. One percent <laughs> yeah. is honest. Yeah, R- R- coach, coach, speak. Rick is like. Super honest, and then he's talking about the officials, and he's like, "Man, did you see the shoe shine job that they guy the, had? They were the real MVPs tonight." <laughs> I was like, "All right, that that guy's that guy didn't just call a perfect game. He has a beautiful family." It's like, "Okay, man." <laughs> no, uh, and and then they did him like that. Tough, okay, tough stuff. I want to uh, in rating the worst officiated games the Canucks have played this season, though. Nashville is still worse than the Rangers one. All right. That game in Nashville where the Canucks had the puck 90% of the game mm. and didn't draw a penalty, despite like four absolutely obvious tripping calls. And then, oh, sorry, the Canucks did draw a penalty, but it was heroic at the end to negate a power yep. penalty kill. It wasn't like a power play opportunity that the Canucks earned for themselves. That that They would have put that game away so much earlier if they had. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, that was the worst officiated game I've seen the Canucks play. The Rangers one was bad, though. It was bad. And that call at the end, or that non-call it's on tough. Pedersen, I mean, look, those are bang-bang. And and I will say this, like I thought the officiating up to that point had been so bad that the Pedersen missed call becomes this like flashpoint, because yep. it actually decides the extra, the, yep. uh, the awarding of the extra point. But that's a bang-bang one. You know what I mean? Like That's a classic coin flip call, where it's like sometimes in the NHL you'll get it, sometimes you won't. What I will say is, that should be, in my opinion, a, call, a like an infraction against a star player negating a scoring chance, even if there's like a minor trip that comes right before it, which there was. If you want your best players to decide games, yeah. that should be a no-doubter every time that's getting called, and we should all know it in the building. But we don't. The way the NHL game is called, you know that's a bang-bang, 50-50, flip a coin. It's bad luck. I don't like to dwell on it. Luck evens out over 82, but... I thought I thought a lot of the officiating in that game was slanted and and quite poor and and I think Canucks fans were justified in their frustration. A hundred percent, which I'm loath to say. Frust- by the way, uh, no, I think the frustration was totally justified, especially since it had been a it wasn't a, an exciting game from the perspective of being really high event necessarily, but it was a dramatic. It was game. gripping. It was a dramatic game, and there was a you could tell that there was significant investment, right? And when mm. you're invested and when you're hyped to see how something uh, ends up and it ends up like that, that's always going to be tough to swallow and tough to get over. But I think the thing for me is that my takeaway is that you don't really have to sweat the extra point right now because the Canucks are playing really well. Right. And I thought definitely in the St. Louis game where they absolutely demolished the blues, especially early in that oh, one, that was just awesome. kind of coasted. But even I thought they played pretty well against New York in on the second half of a back to back. And you look at it now, I think they've played three really impressive games from an underlying process point of view. They've picked up five out of a possible six points in that span. And so, yeah, you're going to be frustrated about the refs, but I think it's it, it probably feels a lot better to be able to take a step back and say, you know what, that sucks, didn't go our way, bad call, don't get a chance to get the full two points, but... If the team keeps playing like this, ultimately that's not going to matter too much, right? Like you're not in a position right now where you're sweating these dropped extra points to a team in the other conference in particular because the underlying play of the team has been pretty impressive over the last three games here. So I would separate the Rangers' performance from the other two, for me, personally. Um, you know, what what I would say, though, like I, before I get into picking nits, 
okay, and and sort of discussing global things. I want to mm-hmm. note, you know, in in honor of the Revenant, which we've already brought up, uh-huh. the Canucks for me have passed the Leo test, right? Mm-hmm. And the Leo test is, you know, you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. Uh, a week ago, or after that game against Nashville, I was like, okay, you know, bouncing back, you know, that like there's absolutely a world where Florida completes the comeback, wins that game, wins yep. that game. Canucks have like a listless Nashville performance. And we're back off that road trip being like this, the, all the worrying. But, you know, this team found a way in, in Florida and then crushed the Predators. And then to follow that up by absolutely demolishing the Blues. Yep. Like, the again, we've seen this team put in some great five-on-five performances, even in seasons that were going the wrong way. Do you remember the Kings win mm-hmm. at around this time of year last mm-hmm. uh, under Boudreaux? Right? They just, like, picked their teeth with the Kings at home randomly. And it had no connection to anything else that happened for either team the rest of the season so like you see one-offs but to trend this in this direction with back-to-back games like that I think is really impressive I will and, also and say piqued my curiosity and in I a major me- way I mentioned this on the I was doing the intermissions on the Friday game against St. Louis but like purely from an underlying statistics measure that first period against St. Louis yeah. I think it was something like 96 percent of expected goals it looked like guys. practice like it was like the Blues may as well not have been on the ice no it was completely ridiculous they smashed them like smash them to the point where they could, you know, feast on the delicious goo inside their brains. <laughs> um, then, then there you, then you have that Rangers game. Now, here's sort of where, um, here's sort of where I begin to get not concerned, but you know, now that the Canucks have gotten off to a start that I think we should all agree and can agree is impressive, mm-hmm. right? Like more than more than. You know, again, we're sort of beginning as the sample expands. We'll slowly begin to like tamp up the certainty in our language, right? So, uh, a week ago it was encouraging. Now it's impressive. Yeah, right. Um, maybe maybe fifteen to twenty games in, we'll start to be like we believe X Y Z. You know, and then at about thirty games, we'll know what this team is. We'll have a really good sense of what their true talent level is, even if that doesn't tell us how the rest of the season will play out. Um, they're they're definitely trending in a, in a I believe they're a playoff team direction at this point, without question. Oh yeah. Um. But, and and this was another thing I was thinking this weekend, uh, you know, it's it sort of, as I was thinking about, um, uh, this is going to take a dark turn, so just bear with me, okay. but I was thinking about um, Matthew Perry, yes. rest in peace, mm-hmm. uh, you're my age, roughly. I am, so yes. like older even, but yeah, yes. Modeled, what, 60% of your sense of humor yeah. off Chandler Bing? Yeah, for sure. Like, hit hard. Yeah. Hit hard when I was at a Halloween party and, and figured that out on Saturday night, having taken the weekend off. Um, and I was sort of thinking about it, like, especially as I was tracking that Rangers game, I thought the Rangers were the better team on that night in that game. See, I don't, I don't think I agree with that. Yeah. Because, and here's the thing. I agree with you that the Rangers game is different than the Preds and the Blues games. Yeah. But the thing that unites them together, the one part of it that was the same for me was that the Canucks limited the Rangers so significantly at five on five. Now. I can look at it and say, well, I don't think the Canucks didn't necessarily generate enough 5-on-5 I, I don't think they generated anything. Which is five. fair. But for me, the fact, if I'm trying to draw a through line between the last three performances, what really stands out is not just that in Nashville and St. Louis, they dominated uh, large stretches of the game, and especially in St. Louis. But if you look at all three games in a row, they have been really stout defensively. In yep. a way, like I don't think we've seen them play three games that well defensively consecutively since you and I've been doing the show. No, I really don't. So and that, that's what's meaningful, most meaningful about the Rangers game on Saturday it, for me. It is, except if you play that game over a bunch of times, 
you know, I don't know how many times DeSmith outduels Shesterkin, right? And I don't know how many times the Canucks score three goals, right? Like, truly, with what they generated, um, I thought, like, on form, that was like a 3-1 loss. But I also look at it and say, well, New York needed two five-on-threes to get two of their goals, right? Yeah. And yeah. That, now, I'm not saying, like, they shouldn't have had those five-on-threes One or was automatic. Yeah, right? I, I get that. But still, if you're looking at, like, okay, process, and if you play – that type of game over and over again, how often are you going to have be on the other end of two five-on-threes, right? So, Not all the time. No, I know. But so the Canucks are converting, though, on chances at the highest clip of any team in the league, right? Five-on-five, 13%. Five, and it's not like a lot of it's like rush stuff or against the green mm. stuff. A lot of it's like deflections. Yeah. A lot of it's like point shots. You know, like a lot of it is the exact types of chances that come and go as a result of random distribution, more than your team's form or, or what you're doing. Like, you can't build a sustainable, high-efficiency offense off deflections. It's just, you need them. Don't get me wrong. It's an important part of the game, but it's not going to last. You're not going to keep converting on those types of shots the way that this team has. Likewise, their goaltending, like, I, I suppose more than anything, I'm, I'm you know, and, and this is sort of where I was thinking about Matthew Perry. It was like, can you be any more lucky, right? <laughs> the, the Chandler Bing thing, like, this team's process is really good. And what we've seen from them five on five, especially over the course of the past week, has looked to me like the sort of baseline that if you could impose it onto the skill level that the Canucks have had, onto that power play that the Canucks have had, onto mm-hmm. Thatcher Demko's goaltending excellence and, and Casey DeSmith, suitcase DeSmith playing really well in the early going too, you know, I, I think you're onto something. I think that's the those are the ingredients of like a, a bona fide playoff team, not just like a sneak in Bu- uh, just not just a bubble team as yep. we've described this team and, and frankly as I expected the Canucks to be like I thought they were going to be a bubble team and uh, I'm certainly on watch to upgrade them from that uh, and kicking myself that maybe I should have uh, been a little bit more on it so I you know I'm at that point but we won't really know I don't think until we see this team's like the bounces that this team has enjoyed begin to even out a bit you know what I mean like if you need a deflection goal, a Tyler Myers shorty against the grain, and a Carson Soucy point blast, mm-hmm. um, and and that goal levels the score in a third period in which you otherwise didn't generate a single scoring chance to lose an OT, that to me is not a great process game, even if you can like a lot of what they did defensively. You I see just, what I'm saying? I do, but I also look, I think that's one side of it, but I think the flip side of it is if, if you are able to limit teams and whatever you think about the Rangers and their status as a contender, they're an offensively talented team, right? Like, they have a lot of guys who can hurt you on that side. I think if you are able to consistently limit teams at even strength, like the Canucks did against the Rangers and also what they did against the Predators and the Blues, you're going to put yourself in a position to benefit from the bounces. Now, it doesn't mean you'll always get the bounces, right? Like, I agree with you. There will be games where you don't get those bounces and you don't get a point, let alone the one point for going to overtime or two points. Uh, for winning either but I think if you are able to have that sort of defensive effort when you do get the bounces it's going to count right and like if that is your baseline and I'm not saying their baseline is the last three games because the last three games the defensive results have been ridiculous right that's not going to be the baseline but, but last season their PK was so bad for example and we talked about it like this team was so flawed that they couldn't even eat when the going was good yeah right and yeah and now and now they can. Like, now they are, in fact. And and one thing I've we've talked about with this team, you know, they've 
shown us in the past. The Boudreaux bump stands out in particular, but I'd but I'd add like uh, the Eliminator run. Do you remember when they had the Pearson? Uh, Erickson, oh, yeah. Bo Horvat line mm-hmm. going strong, and they were getting outshot by a massive amount mm-hmm. on an every game basis. But Markstrom was killing it, and they were getting like all this complimentary offense from Godet and Vertanen, and it just like all of a sudden they're ten two and three over their last fifteen games, and first in the Pacific Division going into the All Star break. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen this team ride these waves. And if you can continue to do it for another five, ten games, huge. Like it doesn't even matter what the underlying process yeah. looks like. You're you're going to be a playoff points. team. Oh, that's why it was so big to get three out of four this weekend too. Right, like, keep the good vibes going oh. from ending the road trip strong. Totally. Yeah. Well, and and now you're looking at Nashville again. Yeah, a- San, San Jose, Jose on Thursday <laughs> with the winless Sharks. I mean, and that team is that team's not even unlucky. They're just hopeless. Yeah, they're getting outscored by like three goals a game. It's right wild. Now. It's and, and, really not. Good. And they're full value for those results. It's it's sad actually. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, if you can stretch this to, well, think about it this way, right? The Canucks have the points that they have now. I, I, I don't know why it's just like eluding me right now. I should know it off the top of my head, and I usually do. But they have, uh, what, uh, 11 points. Yeah. Okay? So think about it this way. When we were talking about what a good start would look like for this team, and mm-hmm. I was like, you need, because of how hard the schedule gets in December, 25. You need 25 from your first 15. Mm-hmm. They can go less than 500 and get there now. Yeah. Like, they've already... Not 25 through your first 15. That's an outrageous Sorry, t- 25 through your first 20. 20, yeah. Was sort of like... And you were like, that's really hot. Yeah. I mean, that's 100-point pace. Yeah. But, I mean, now, to get there, you need, what, 14 points from 12 games. So, you just just over 500. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that that's... um. And you've got at least a couple games against the Sharks in there, right? Like Six, six, and two would do it. Or, sorry, no, that's 14 games. Anyway, whatever. Point is, they've put themselves in a spot where you don't even have to, like, if you go 500 through Canadian Thanksgiving, you're still going to be in a really assertive spot yep. in the Pacific Division. That's how quickly, like, bank points catch up and matter. And in this league where it's so hard to catch up, so if they can keep riding this wave, I mean, then they have a, then they have a real shot to lock themselves in even when that regression hits, give, them, give themselves that insurance. And I think... Yeah, Sorry. I think the thing for me is you're like obviously you just look at the numbers and they are getting bounces right now. But for me, it's like All okay, they're getting bounces. They're, they're, they're not just getting bounces, Jamie. They're getting bounces, and they're what 110 pace team right now. Yeah. right. So that's really good. When I look at what they've done over the last three games, to me, that feels like a team where if the bounces start to go against you, but you maintain that level of performance, you're not going to drop off and be like a 60-point pace team all of a sudden for a stretch, right? You're going to still put yourself in a position to get those points. And, hey, maybe it's a tough month, but you're like still above 500 slightly for the month, and you're, you haven't sunk your season. And that's why the defensive results in particular sure. and the ability to hang around in games. Or something you're taking home and yes, being excited is like, about. is something that, that feels really important and meaningful and for I, me. And I think that's fair. The reason this team now has my attention, right, is for me, the, the slow starts that we've seen for three years in a row, when it's as consistent as it has been for three years in a row, it becomes something that I look at as not just like a mental block, but as something that might be indicative of where your talent level's at. That like, when the chips are down and business like teams are off to trying to get off to a good start and build themselves that cushion, you can't hang. Mm. Right? Canucks have sort of answered that underlying concern for me already, mm-hmm. which which you know immediately causes me to upgrade it. Defensive play has been really good. Penalty kill looks at least serviceable, and the like. I don't think it's great. 
I don't think the penalty kill is going to be great, but I think it's no, going to be it, league average. And I, I don't think it needs to be. No, it you know doesn't. what I mean. It and doesn't. You look two couple five. I know they gave up three just, goals in the power play. Just stop aiming that Gatling gun at your feet. <laughs> yeah, and you'll exactly. Be fine. Just stabilize. I think it's fine. <laughs> and you know, I think what I'm trying to get at and talk at used the word yesterday or uh, on Saturday talking to the media. Right. He said this team is starting to build an identity. And I know that's like a cliche and that's a buzzword. But how often have we talked about it? Either one, the team not having an identity or having a bad identity. Right. The identity being can't get it done when it matters or get blowing leads or whatever. Right. And I do think and it's very early still. I get it. Yada, yada, yada. Right. No, but you can see them starting to build an identity. That's the the identity right now, though, is, is I mean. There's some stuff there. I'm not saying there isn't, right? Like killer power play is real, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think goaltending edge in most of their games is going to be real. And honestly, super efficient finishers, that's going to be real mm-hmm. to some extent. But your identity when when you're running downhill, when you are number one in the NHL in conversion rate, five on five, and number three in save percentage, mm-hmm. right? Where you're that overheated, it's like your identity right now is teams have to work twice as hard to score on you as you do on them. Well, that's a great identity to have. It just doesn't last. The difference for me is because the things you just mentioned there, right? Uh, Finishing talent, the power play, goaltending have mostly been there over the last two years. Goaltending, not last year. But there's reason to expect it to continue at least to some degree, not at this level necessarily. But that's why if you if you can add a reliable defense team defensive game to that as your identity. No, I see what you're saying. And your identity is defense, goaltending, and Elias Pettersson and JT Miller are awesome. Yeah, if you're just looking at a regular season team, that's an identity that can take you a long way. So that's why the team defense thing stands out to me so much. It's like the missing ingredient to make that identity sustainable. I, I, so, having shown me though that this team can get off to a good start, right? What I still have yet to see, what I still have yet to see from this group, the next level that I want to see, right? The next test that I'm curious to see them pass, mm-hmm. because while I'm setting up these benchmarks, it's also benchmarks along the way toward us being like, wow, this is. A ton of fun. This is awesome. Yep. And and I'm I've been deeply impressed with this team. But what we still haven't seen and what I still need to see to to get to that next level, to get to that bona fide playoff level and then start to talk about what this team needs to do to become a contender, right? That next layer of conversation. Uh, I still think we need to see what it looks like when they get hit in the mouth. We need to see the body language and the business like mentality be a pervasive identity for them. And we're seeing it now, but the times are good when the times get bad, right? We need to see them have that Philly game, have that Tampa game, and then lose the Florida game and still be able to come out and do Nashville. Yeah. We need, we, like, at some point, this team's going to be tested. And in the past, we've seen Demko goes down and all of a sudden everyone's pointing fingers and literally yelling at the goalies on the bench and breaking sticks, calling goals soft and excuses get made and things fall apart like the next thing we need to see is this team get tested and answer the call still and I think it's two things right it's one what you're talking about when the breaks don't go your way right and they go actually against you how do you respond there but and part of that and they can go hand in hand but also is if your process falls down for a few games how do you respond to that right because you can play really well and you you get unlucky and you lose games totally and I think it's probably easier in those circumstances for athletes to say like hey, that's frustrating, but we still played really well. I think the other part about that is that's probably been way more difficult for the Canucks to handle in last in previous seasons because they've been live and die for every two points since like the first sure. two weeks of the season. So now at least you bank a few points and, hey, tough result in January where you outshot the other team by 15, but you lost. 
you're probably in a position to handle that a little bit better. You probably are, so long as you avoid that 10-game stretch yeah. that leaves you so far behind the eight. I think the question for me is going to be if there are two or three games that look like the Philly game in a row, or not quite that oh, bad. See, what right? I, Can you then rebound and get your process back on track quickly enough? Or say you have the Philly game, and then you have the game they put up against the Blues, right? Except in this one, because hockey's like this sometimes, and we've all watched a million games that look like this, Toward the end of the first period, the Blues get there against the grain goal. So it's mm. 1-1 after, mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. one. And then they get another against the grain counterattacking, unlucky. Like, maybe it's a deflection goal. Like, just something silly. Yep. Now, you, now you're 2-1. And then in the third, the team, like, gets a power play. It's 3-1. They win. But you've crushed them the next game. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's like, we did everything we could have. We still got soundly beaten. Because that, that uh, it's a long hockey season, you know. Lasorda used to say about baseball, right? You've, everyone wins fifty four, loses fifty four, and then it's what you do with the other fifty four that count. I sort of have always thought the same about hockey. You get about fourteen games where everything goes against you, like you're going to lose no matter how well you play. Fourteen games you're going to win no matter how bad you are, and and it's sort of the rest of them that'll define your season. What what can happen though is you can get a stretch of those right off the hop, where it's like you get four wins, yeah, you know, like like the Florida game. Right, which is like an absolute coin flip, uh, or the Edmonton game, the second one. You know what I mean? Where it's like absolutely easy to see this team having lost those games, or the Rangers one, where it's a sound defeat as opposed to how it actually played out, and that completely changes the complexion of what we're talking about. So, as this sample expands, we'll see. But this team's off to an outrageously good start that we're even asking these questions of like, how good are they? How valid yep. is this? Uh, where do they go? I, I, I just add, I just add. To close off this segment, when the bounces are this hot, it is very easy to fall for the mirage, right? Like, uh, I would note that we don't really know what this team is yet, and we won't until they get sort of kicked in the teeth. The last three performances loom large. I, I hear you. I'm not I'm not minting them yet or anything, but they haven't played three games like that that well defensively, again, since we've been doing the show. Mm-hmm. So if that is a sign of things to come, like, I, I, I'm totally willing to put all the caveats in there. But as you said, that gets my curiosity or attention, which yeah. is the which is the better one. Attention. attention. Yeah. yeah. That gets my attention. Yeah, they they they're passing the Leo test. <laughs> we will take a break. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What's your reaction to what we've seen from the Canucks and the weekend in particular? Are you buying in? Are you excited? Are you changing your expectations for this team as a result? Lots more coming up here. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. This is my favorite of the intros. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm surprised by that. Why? It's I like, feel like it's too mellow for you. No, it's like rights-free NOS. It's not that mellow. It's like I'm expecting, you know. Maybe like late period NOS. No, this you that's. Wouldn't, you wouldn't catch this on Illmatic. Absolutely. This is lo-fi no. study beats, guys. Lo-fi, lo-fi hip-hop beats to work or study to. Dude, you'd absolutely find something like that to start an Illmatic track. No. No, Illmatic goes way harder for this. I love... Look, Omatic might be my favorite rap album of all time. I'm just saying, like, this is too soft. I don't know. I'm not even saying I dislike the beat. It's just too soft for Omatic. That's all I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> Life's a B. I can imagine. Life's a B opens with, like, a pretty lo-fi. Nah, but it's not. It's got more edge to it. It's got more edge to it than that. Not much. I think so. 
I don't think so. Man. I'm not saying you couldn't make a good rap song over that beat. The, wor uh, the world is yours likewise. There's a lot of lo-fi drops in Illmatic, man. Um, I'm going to go listen to Omatic yeah, later today when you I get should, home. because you clearly don't remember it. No, I remember it very well. <laughs> I remember it very well. Uh, all right. Six, it is uh, it is Canucks Talk. What are we doing here? It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. <laughs> 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I have a good Nas should story. We, should we draft classic rap albums oh, with Dimitri at some point? Uh, yeah, we should. I actually really like that idea. I have a good Nas story. I'm just not sure how much you're allowed to talk about consumption on the radio. <laughs> I'll tell you in the break. Okay. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Run Rather, it by me, and I'll let you know if okay, it's yeah, safe. Perfect. If it's Thank safe you. for the radio. Jamie's your legal department. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I, I'll let you know, but I won't accept any responsibility if it goes sideways, I, just so we're all clear on I that one. I think I know how to do it. I, I think I can thread the needle here. You ready? All right. I produced a thing and threw it on stage. Nas consumed it. Amazing. And, and complimented the skill in putting it together. That, okay, that's actually really And sick. it was one of the top five moments yeah, of my life. Yeah, no, that's incredible. Yeah. That's really good. It's very sick. That's a very, very good At the good cool story. house in Toronto. You peaked that day. Uh, I, 100% I peaked that day. I will never be that cool again. Somebody texts in, uh, if anyone out there didn't know you guys were white, they do now. <laughs> that's fair. Um, being a Canadian hockey writer wasn't enough. Yeah, okay, a Canadian sports radio host as yeah. well. Ugh. Yikes! Um, all right, uh, six fifty, six fifty. I did throw this question out there. Right, we were talking about you know sorting out what's real, what's going to last, what might not last from the Canucks' hot start to the season, which continued. Uh, with three out of four points over the weekend. And I, I asked the fans, because I do think this is a really interesting subplot, or maybe even more than a subplot, right? Considering, like, the whole point is for the team to attract fans and make those fans happy, ultimately. Like, that's what we're talking about here. It's an entertainment product, but kind of measuring and tracking the degree of confidence and the degree of buy-in from the fans. And I also just think, like, the level of entertainment from the fan that the fans are getting from this team. Well, I think pretty high. Yeah, I would I mean, think so. This team's two zero and one at home. Yeah, and after the St. Louis game, it was thirteen to one on home ice, the aggregate score in the, in the two games. So it came to a little bit of an end uh, against the Rangers. But well, if you're getting those results on home ice, that's pretty good. And that's and that's like not to not to track back to our conversation in segment one, right? But it's like this team's outscored their opponents twenty to nine, five on five. Mm. You know, that's a a better than two to one margin isn't reflective of how their games have actually gone. Right, like that's where mm -hmm. um, regression eats into it, and this team will be closer to fifty-fifty, uh, maybe maybe slightly under if they continue to play this way. Although having Demko is is a <laughs> huge trump card it's to be able nice. to play. Well, so as we're sort of tracking these conversations, right? Because I think there's. Hold on, hold on. I want to okay, read. Okay. I want to read this text from okay. JFID, who says, "I'm still waiting till Christmas to determine playoffs or not," which is very fair. But he says, "But boy, oh boy." Are my Nux group chats hopping this year? It's been enjoyable regardless what anyone awesome. thinks. Awesome, love that. He also says, I think the Miller trade was good, uh, and the same feeling with Hronik. I mean, the Miller trade, I the, don't know, the, but there's a lot of debate about the trade. The, the Miller trade was won by the Canucks the moment they beat the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. The moment Chris Tanev scored in the in the uh, bubble and, and uh, sent, sent the Canucks to the playoffs. The, the key to that trade was don't surrender a lottery pick. Yeah. That was always going to be the case. Um, and once the Canucks sort of uh, accomplished that, I think that trade was a, an immediate win. 
but um, the metric there, right? Of hey, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, but my group chats are popping off talking about the Canucks. That's good. Like that. That's really important uh, just like that level of investment like you want to talk to your buddies you're excited to like chat with them be like hey did you see this what do you think about that again it doesn't mean they're going to make the playoffs as Fit acknowledges i don't think you, you know he's not saying like you have to be blindly optimistic about where the season is going but just doing enough to get that level of buy-in that hasn't necessarily been there buzz. in recent years yeah oh, it's like huge. that's massive for the team it's huge and i still think there's another layer for it to get to oh absolutely i mean i, I still think the like, I think the hardcores are excited about this team now, but beginning to penetrate back into the casual sort of psyche, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I do think that requires a, a level of, like, sustained play um, beyond what matters for us. And I don't know. know that there's almost, like, anything the team can do until it's the playoffs are, like, around the corner to really hit that. Because the playoffs are so important for penetrating, as you said, that casual audience. Totally. You know what I mean? So it's like... Yeah, maybe, look, if they're first in the league in January, that might do it too. But, like, realistically, I think the playoff buzz has to start. And the anticipation for the playoffs has to to start to build. And they have to perform. You're right. The the anticipation, that, like, six weeks before, you know, agreed, for sure. Um, And, you know what, I, I like, in some of my... um, Sports wagering. I was Gambit, by the way, for Halloween. I, I, I somehow found a Very way nice. to go to a Halloween party on Saturday dressed as a degenerate, <laughs> which I was very proud of myself for. Um, but in some of my gambling group Did chats, you do the too, accent? No, I can't do it. Just I, curious? I'm so bad with accents, man. It's like truly embarrassing. Like my British accent sounds, sounds Russian. My Russian accent <laughs> sounds like it's really bad. Um, sorry. The, yeah, like, one of my buddies was like, you got to, uh, was telling his friend, like our friend group, you got to hammer the Canucks at plus 150 against the Rangers because you're not going to get them plus money at home for long. Mm. And I thought, you know what? That might be right. That might be true. Especially because I think with the way that this roster is built, how, how top heavy it is, especially along the back end, you know, when this team can dictate matchups, I think they're a much harder opponent than they might be on the road. Over the course of the year, just just a just a something I'm going to track here. Like, is home a fortress, and is this team a little more vulnerable on the road? Is going to be something I watch for, given their insistence on playing Hughes Heronic and the results that that pair is getting. Hughes Heronic, uh, as we talk about, kind of things we're tracking and sure. wondering, and I know that's obviously been a big talking point. The results have been really, really good. I am torn on this one because, on the one hand, if they're playing well, the the process the last three games has been really, really good. I get the logic of, hey, stick your two best guys together and let them be great. I st- a part of me still really, really wants to see what this blue line looks like when they're split up and when Hronik is running a second pair or he's the guy on a second pair. Now, I understand there's personnel limitations there that, ma- that make that not so appetizing for the coaching staff. I will say this. I think I have started to see more of Hronik adding to that pair and and seeing his value of Hughes over the last couple of games than I did before that. And and that doesn't mean I think, okay, now he has to be there for the remainder of the season or anything, but I'm starting to see more of the value than I did earlier in the season of having them paired up together. Yeah, I mean, they're playing really well. I think, so, (laughs) do you know who the second best pair in the NHL minimum 30 minutes played is by shot attempt differential? Is it Hughes and Hernick? It's Cole Friedman. Amazing. <laughs> Ian Cole, man. And they're number one by expected goals. Like Let's 70, go. high 70s. Um, so there you go. Can't can't split them up. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been great. <laughs> like, I'm, there's nothing else to it. That's been a, a find. Um, yeah, I mean, Hughes and Hronick are at 150-ish minutes together, played 60% plus control of shot attempts. We'll see how that ages. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, the underlying results look pretty similar to what we saw with Hughes-Bear. And and I think right now that pair is one of the best in the league because Quinn Hughes is the single most impactful yes. defenseman uh, in the NHL through the first two and a half weeks of the season. Um, I, I think that would be true if he were playing with any number of guys. That's that's the thing for me, right? And, it's because we've seen him have results like that with guys who aren't Philip Hronick, yeah. right? Which doesn't mean Hronick's not playing well. No, he is. It's just, can you get more value out of him somewhere else in the lineup? Well, and, and also that the bar, the bar to being additive is so high. Mm. Because Hughes can cook with, because he can get so close, or he can get to an elite level almost single-handedly. Yes. So for you to push, a, it's really hard to get those last bits of marginal value above elite, which is kind of Quinn Hughes's baseline. I mean, I, I thought I saw it a little bit, especially against uh, well, in both games, really of you know Hughes maybe being in a bit of a tight spot, and if it was Juleson or even Ethan Bear or you know Tyler Myers alongside him, he probably tries to do it himself. Probably successfully, but he feels more comfortable using Hronick as a as kind of a release valve. So I think I have seen that kind of chemistry and that partnership start to develop. But it's just ultimately I I'm a little skeptical that let's say you did have Ethan Bear in the lineup, or if you have another option, another plausible option there, uh, even though it means breaking up the uh, the dynamite Friedman Cole combo potentially. Like I would still like to see Hronick Cole for a run of games. You know what I mean on the second pair. And really see what they can do together as the second pair. Yeah, I, I would also like to see that. But why change things when you've got two that's, pairs rolling at sixty percent plus? Let's thing. go. And the, even like the, Susie Myers, I thought played pretty well over the over the weekend. That's a good role for both of them. Tyler Myers, a heck of a third pair defenseman. Who would have Who would have argued that? Who would have been pounding the table on that? Um, no, the uh, yeah. Look, I don't think you change the Canucks pairs because it's working. Yeah, I, I do still think, you know, when you when you zoom out and try to do the when this team starts to play in leverage, what matters, right? Where where are they held back, right? When when you start to sort of think about that, I do still think second pair right side D looms pretty large. Mm-hmm. In addition to is your bottom six forward group serviceable as opposed to good or better than that? Yeah. Right. Uh, th- those those would sort of be the things that l- still loom large for me as a not not concerns. That's too heavy. But like as things to watch as the sample expands mm-hmm. and areas where I think this, uh, you know, team may still be a little bit limited, uh, despite what's been phenomenal early. Season well, results. in this text, when I asked people, you know, are you buying in? What's your reaction? And this text came in. Uh, we need to see the bottom six start to produce before we talk. Uh, about being a contender, and I do think the bottom six is, you know, like, I thought Niels Hoaglander had a good game against the Rangers, and I think you look at his rate scoring early on in the season in a relatively small sample size, it's very impressive. The minutes... His career, his career rate scoring is good. Sorry, you were talking DiGiuseppe? No, uh, Hoaglander. Oh, yeah, Yeah. Hoaglander. I mean, Hoaglander's their best shot at generating offense in uh, in the bottom six right now, in addition to Garland. The problem is, is it doesn't seem like the team's willing to play them together given their size profiles, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's always kind of been one of the issues with the Garland ad was it made it hard to roster some of Vancouver's other undersized potential difference makers, and they have too many of them 
relative to guys who can play the sort of game that Tockett wants. Now, interestingly, the Canucks practiced today, and uh, as you would expect, not a ton of lineup maneuvering coming off the, the results they're coming off. So the top six remains the same. Suter and Garland on the third line. Beauvillier moves up to the third line, which is interesting, especially with you what you were just mentioning about the size issue. Hoaglander remains on the fourth line with Sam Lafferty and Jack Studnicka, again, at practice, so no guarantee he'll be in the lineup tomorrow against Nashville. Dakota Joshua skating as the extra today. So a little bit of a bottom six uh, juggle there from Rick Tockett. And, you know, I know when Jack Studnicka came out and Hoaglander went in, Tockett's message was, this isn't a punishment. We just need other, we're like, we're, we're going to be rotating guys in and out. I wonder if there's a similar thing going on here as well, where, Maybe we shouldn't read this as a punishment for Dakota Joshua, but it's an opportunity for Studnika to get back in. And I do think it's also a recognition of the top six lines working pretty well, or working pretty well right now, but still trying to find that mix in the bottom six. And Beauvillier Garland going together on the third line, given the size concerns, that's clearly a place where they're going to be given a chance to do some damage offensively. Like well, that's going to be the ask from that line. You need to give Beauvillier a shot to do something higher up the lineup, right? I mean, given the investment, the opportunity cost investment of a $4 million fourth line winger, you know, in, in this last season of, of flat cap stagnancy for the league, I mean, you need to give him a shot to do something. But we've seen how much patience talk it has for Beauvillier, Suter, Garland as a trio in the preseason. And the leash is going to be short. short. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's going to be really short. So, you know, I, I mean, well, I would also say, like, if tough. you're willing to play two smaller players on the same line in Garland and Beauvillier, I mean, Hoaglander has outperformed Beauvillier, not just from a point production standpoint, right, but like from a process standpoint, from an activity, well, from making plays. Sure, but but not necessarily from a staple standpoint. That's fair. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, th- that's where. Uh, the the scanning the neutral zone stuff, you know, in particular, uh, I mean, Hoaglander's awesome when he's the first guy in on the four check. Mm. When when for whatever reason he's F two F three, you know what I mean, and you're mm-hmm. and you're counting on him to to make a read and make or, a play to provide the wedge as teams mm-hmm. try to enter against or or what have you. Or if he's cutting off the top in the defensive zone, that's where he can occasionally be in the wrong spot. And teams know it. Tone teams know it. So I mean, there's still work to do there. I think that would be. At least part of the reason, especially against a Predators team that has, you know, depth scoring, right? Well, it has like a third line with Thomas Novak on it that can do damage. And I think there's also probably an element of, hey, if Hoaglander is at least trending in the right direction, like keep him in the role, but he's playing well. Yeah. It, right. And, you know, I, I did think it was interesting. His overall minutes he's obviously good. still under 10, but like he's in terms good. of five on five minutes against the Rangers, like he had more five on five minutes than Andre Kuzmenko in that game, than Anthony Bovillier, than Pew Suter, right? So it wasn't as if, you know, he no, doesn't, he, he was he doesn't going. play special teams. So that's always going to limit his minutes. But at five on five, the coach, it's not like the coach was trying to avoid him. The coach no, was getting him out there. He, he knew he was going and he was going. I mean, yep. I thought he was playing with enormous confidence. The The little uh, shimmy move he pulled on Braden Schneider was sick, right? And that's a big bodied guy. I mean, he was going into the wall like he always does against bigger men and coming out with the puck. I, Look, he's a hard worker. He's a good player. He's a good player. I, I, there are. It, it's not flawless. There, there are still some areas for growth. Uh, you know, it's really too bad that he didn't get that like full season in the American League mm. uh, when he started his career. I think, but 
um, you know, I, I mean, he's a he's a useful player. Uh, no question in my mind, this guy's a top nine guy. Uh, l- not just this year, like going forward, this guy's good. And I do look at it in the bottom six, you know, as much as they're still trying to find the right mix and the right partnerships and all of those things. Can, like, can I ask you a question, actually? Teddy Bluger, will he change how you view it? No, because my concern right now is offensive. Mm. So, like, I would uh, – he's got to go in the lineup, obviously. You put him in the lineup, I think he's a really solid defensive player for yeah, you. Yeah, I loved you, what he looked like in training camp yeah, in absolutely. the preseason. But I don't look at it as that's the missing piece to the bottom six because mm. what you're looking for is guys who can produce consistently there. And I don't think all of a sudden you're going to bring Bluger in and it's going to start, you know, Beauvillier or, or Hoaglander putting the puck in the net more consistently. No, but Hoaglander, Bluger, Lafferty sounds like a ton of fun. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, and I what I was like gonna, I want I, I'm I'm in. What that. I was gonna say is like between Bovillier, Garland, and Hoaglander, like that's three guys in your bottom six who can make plays, mm-hmm. who, who aren't like who have legit like offensive track records in the NHL of being able to do things offensively. So there should be a combination in the bottom six where it's not just a like okay, hey guys, go out there and don't get scored against. Like do do nothing out there. There should be a combination where you can go out and expect some offense. You've got the guys who can make plays. It's just, I think it's just finding who to fit them with and finding those roles and probably in Bovillier's case, getting some confidence back into his game as well. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people will look at things like, what do you do in the bottom six to change the bottom six mix when really the question might be if Di Giuseppe is the find he looks like, mm. right? Can you find the guy that pushes him to the third line? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, can you find the guy that pushes Mikheyev to the third line, right? Like that, that it might be that might be the way to look at it uh, in, in terms of a team's needs, right? It, just like on defense, right? It's not like you want to find a guy to, to you want to find a guy to upgrade Friedman. What if it's Hironic, right? Right? Like that's that's one of the ways to to think about these things is is in terms of if this team is a bona fide playoff team, right? And I'm absolutely willing to consider that as as a a realistic probability, right? Then you start to have the conversation about like how do you how do they get better to compete with, you know, Colorado, Vegas, et cetera. And and that bar's exceptionally high. You know, one thing I'd I'd sort of um evangelize for is not to think of it in terms of like how do you upgrade you know, this team needs how another do you bring second in a third pair, line player right? or whatever. Yeah. In upgrading a second pair, don't don't think about getting a four or five guy, thinking about Think about trying to get a one-two mm. who pushes Heronic to be a two-three guy to yep. be a, a four, or even right? a two-three or something, yeah. right? But yeah, and I mean, I think you were already seeing the logic of pushing guys down the lineup, as as I mentioned. Like, look at Susie Myers, right? Yeah, you feel oh, it makes really, a huge difference. feel really good about that as a third pair, absolutely. Pretty good, anyways. Whereas if those guys, I mean, if that was your second pair, you're you're pretty worried. If they're like either of those guys in the top four, you're a little concerned, but you slide them down the lineup and it just makes such a difference. I, well, and I, I want to be clear. I don't, I wouldn't have any concerns about Susie in a second pair role if his partner was heroic. Exactly. Exactly. With the right yeah, partner. With the right partner. Yeah. Um, the, the McKayev thing. Just want to touch on this really quick. He's looked great. Like he's looked really good. I, I, I'm, Really impressed by what I've seen. I'm I'm still going to keep like banging the table and advocating for patience, uh, whether whether or not this is you know that adrenaline infused bump versus him sustaining this form, uh, given the severity of his recovery from surgery to repair a torn ACL. Uh, but man, him coming in and looking like this right off the hop—that was one of the things I was most concerned about going into the season. Was like, what if this team's just short a top mm. six impact guy, and instead has sort of a, a guy who's going to take 
a, a lot more time to find his game. But man, he has been awesome. Like he's just been awesome right off the hop. I just wanted to I just wanted to note that as something where as I watched those games and thought about like okay, how much higher is this team's ceiling than I right. than I'd expected going in? Mikheyev looking like this is like one of the big factors that has caused me to sort of upgrade my, my sort of view of the of this team's has moved them right on the bell curve <laughs> in terms of what we might expect from them. Are they leaving the fat part of it? No, I'm moving the whole fat part right. I see. You're moving the fat part. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were moving them on the like the pre-existing bell curve. No, no, no. I'm I never see. I'm not interested in that. Cuz I can't I can't tell. <laughs> like they're they're to the far right of the bell curve, Jamie. Yes. My whole all of segment 1 is me being like, we'll see what it looks like when they move to the to fat the part. middle part. Yes. Yeah, because but you're right moving now, the middle part potentially. Cuz right now All it's right. been it's just, been lean. I just want to make sure I'm I'm up to date They're, on the status of the fat part of the bell you, curve. You, uh, Where's our bell curve? Shaming the bell curve. Where's our bell curve fatness at? Um, all right. On that note, we'll take a break. Uh, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Now, as, got- the, as the bell curve uh, self consciously sucks in. <laughs> I, I've been there, man. Um, uh, <laughs> iMac every is, day. iMac is going to join us uh, at one thirty. We got one more open segment. Uh, we'll see if uh, if there's any Rick talk at audio after the team practiced today. More Canucks talk coming up here. Sportsnet six fifty. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Big Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want me to think that you're wild? Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trans. Canucks Talk is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. At Kintech.net, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Canucks, again, coming off a successful weekend, three out of four points from the two home games. They're practicing today at Rogers Arena. I I think practice has wrapped up. So uh, if we get some Rick Tockett audio in here in the next 20 minutes or so. We'll try to bring that to you. Uh, I did want to read this text as we look around the league a little bit. Tyler texts in, who has had the most shocking start? Uh, actually, before we get to this, somebody texted in, that beat sounds more like 2000's Ashanti and Ja Rule, which is a great pull. I was trying to think, like, where would this beat fit in? And I can definitely see, like, an Ashanti and Ja Rule joint the whole, from, like, 2001. The whole inbox is disagreeing with my take that Illmatic it's has actually some low really, I don't bring it up every tracks. time. That happens a lot. That you and I have a disagreement about, like, something completely superfluous and stupid and people are on my side. <laughs> No, I know. I know, but it's because people remember things badly. No, it's yes, not. it is. People are like, people are like, Illmatic goes hard, just like you. And it's like, there's a ton of easy listening backbeats in that. Easy listening. 
There is <laughs> smooth I'm, jazz. I'm playing. I'm pl- We're playing it at the uh, at the break, and then we'll come back and and you'll uh, you'll tell iMac if you still disagree with me. <laughs> iMac be like, what? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? <laughs> iMac thoughts on Illmatic. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be like, "Is that a new cab sove from Northern California?" <laughs> that would be a great, a great label for a for, for a nice red wine. Let's tr- you know what? Let's try telling him that. Let's set him up and I'm see not, how he I'm not going to do that. Come uh, on, I'm not going to play a prank on either. Yeah, re- recommend to him that he pick up a bottle no. of Illmatic Cab Sove. You can do that if you want. I, I, I will be not. I will not 50, be party 50. to that. Uh, okay. Anyways, Tyler Texan, who has had the most shocking start to the teams season? or Canucks. Teams: Canucks, Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, Detroit are the ones he offers, uh, but he also leaves the door open for others. For me, it's Boston. I yeah, know the schedule. Oh, it's definitely Boston. The schedule's been cake. I understand that, but like they're <laughs> they got 15 points in eight games. The, the, they lost a generational player, and they're just cruising. Yeah, they lost a generational player, but what you didn't know is that. Charlie Coyle is now a generational player. And the guy, I always, I'm bad at pronouncing his name, but uh, the guy you love, uh, Poitra? Oh, yeah, Poitras. Poitras. I was I was calling him out, huh? You were on him. I, I will. But it's so funny to me because, like, second round pick who came into the league and was instantly no, a two-way sick. star retires. And then second round pick. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, wait, did they just, like, clone Patrice Bergeron in the draft? Is this replaying? How do they do this? How do they time it like this? My Ontario guys loved him loved him so yeah no i mean there's so much good young talent like there's so much good young talent it's wild it's wild to see in uh, terms of the in terms of bad starts to the season and i mean obviously sorry it's on- sorry i do i not like to get to oh, t- say okay well i thought you were agreeing with me with boston but you go ahead oh no boston boston I'm boston is the most you. surprising start to me Be- but boston has very much like they can't keep getting away with yes, this vibes. that's exactly what the vibes are like perfect like what you were supposed to be bad this year. What's going on? Hundred percent. Like Boston, every year I'm expecting them to finally take the step back. You know, when when Rask retired, I was like, this is the year. Mm. And they signed Linus Allmark, and I'm like, you know, Linus Allmark's fine, but he's not Tuka Rask. Turns out he's Tuka Rask. <laughs> you know, P- Patrice Bergeron retires, and it's not just that they have this stud find in in Poitras, but like Charlie Coyle is picking his teeth with tough yeah. competition. Like what? This guy was a winger when they acquired him three years ago. I don't care for it. Four years ago. No, I don't either. I don't care for it. Yeah, they're they're absolutely outrageous. They're absolutely at the point where they're like a. Um, I think you should leave Skit. Yeah, you know what I mean. Boston just like <laughs> they're they're straight up like I've never stood up for anything in my life, so I'm standing up for this hat. Yeah, that's that's who Boston is. It's it's deeply annoying. I want to offer Anaheim. Okay. Four and four through eight games. Solid, but unremarkable underlying profile. They've been somewhat lucky, but they've got, like, Minchukov's playing fabulous hockey. I highly recommend tuning in to watch the Anaheim Ducks just to watch Minchukov. That that guy's a monster. And, like, they're ahead of schedule. I, I, I... If you go look at their schedule that's gotten them to four and four through their first eight, they play Boston twice. They've played Carolina. Like, they've played some real, they've played Vegas. They've already played some really good mm-hmm. teams. They're playing legitimately well. And there's some good fortune there, but I don't think that's a pushover team. Like, I don't think them or Chicago are getting into the Macklin Derby. I, I like, I don't even think they're going to get close to it. I mm. think those teams are going to be 
you know, 70 plus, 70 plus points. I, I think there's a, a competent core there. And by the way, Anaheim being ahead of schedule would be bad news for, for a team like Vancouver that's sort of trying to come out of, you know, a, a three-year spiral um, and, and just has like a narrower path to leveling up than a team like the Ducks do. And I think the interesting thing with Anaheim, because I don't necessarily buy them this year as a team that's going to be in the playoff mix. No, no, no. Except, Sorry, I didn't well, say on. that either. No, you didn't. Yeah, you didn't. I want to be clear. But with, I'll offer a caveat to that instantly. For as much as we talked about, like, ooh, the Pacific Division could be a gauntlet coming. You know, and, that, and the Western Conference, looking but bad. beyond the like top four teams right now, is like, Ooh boy! Yeah. Ooh boy! And you know the the texter who uh, my, my my Pacific Division is the best division in hockey. Take coming into this season is probably the one I'm most worried about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I I, I that's a take that I think I might have to walk back. Well, and I, look, I would still probably bet on Edmonton to be oh, one yeah. of the top three teams in the Pacific. Did, like they beat Calgary yesterday. That's did you great. watch Joe Burrow carve up the 49ers yes. last yesterday. Yeah. I was thinking about that being mm. like, I feel like we're gonna get a game like this from McDavid in mm -hmm. in three weeks, where it's gonna be like, oh yeah. I'm back. <laughs> like, like we're gonna get, we're gonna get Connor, John Wick, McDavid at some point. But like, you start to count it up, and okay, Colorado, Dallas, Vegas. I think everyone feels very good about them being, you know, playoff locks. I would have L.A. Maybe not a lock, but I feel really strongly about them making the playoffs. They're good. Beyond that, I think. I like, think. What do you think about Minnesota this year? They're good. Yeah. So I would probably have Minnesota in there. That's but, but five. Minnesota's like. Minnesota's not a threat, but they're good. But, like, start to try to, like, okay, who scares you to take home one of those? Or who's, like, oh, yeah. Sorry, definitely scares you from the perspective of the Canucks. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? To, like, take. So, let's say let's say you give playoff spots to Colorado, oh, Dallas. Oh, do, do you want to do tiers? Colorado. Let's do tiers. Okay, okay. All right. So, tier I'll one. Let is, you start. Tier one is Colorado and Vegas. No question. Yeah. No one else is in that tier. No, no one else is in that tier yeah. right now. So, tier two, I would probably have Dallas and L.A. Yeah, I'd have LA ahead of Dallas, but sure. Okay, I'm 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 willing to uh, I'm willing to accept that. Yeah, and then is there? I might I might so I would fight back and go LA, and then I'd go Dallas Winnipeg. Really? Yeah. See, I wouldn't have Winnipeg there. I would. I would have. My question would be like, do I still believe in Minnesota enough to have them in like tier three almost by themselves? Because that's the only other no. team that I would. Then I would have Minnesota, Winnipeg. Vancouver probably in tier three right now. Oh, sorry, Edmonton. I would yeah. have Edmonton in tier two still probably. With so LA, with Edmonton? LA, yeah, LA, Dallas, you know LA, okay. Edmonton. I'm down with that, and then I'd have Winnipeg and um, Dallas, and then I think you're right. I think Minnesota, Minnesota, Vancouver, Vancouver and uh, you had a third, third team. Uh, oh, you I had, had Winnipeg. Winnipeg in there, and uh, I think, I think I'm still interested enough in the Flames that I'm not gonna leave them out but like they're on life support they're on life support. they are like their season is teetering on the brink somebody texted in when Bick and I were doing the intermissions on Friday as a from a Canucks perspective who should you be cheering to win the uh the outdoor game yesterday the heritage classic between Edmonton and Calgary and my answer was Edmonton because I'm like and the thing about Edmonton is if you are 
adjusting your thoughts on the Canucks, like you were almost guaranteed preseason, you were baking in a spot for Edmonton in the playoffs above the Canucks. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. the Canucks don't need to beat Edmonton. Like whatever's going on with Edmonton, that's gravy. For the Canucks. Totally. Like, you would love to finish ahead of them. That would be awesome. But you don't need Just to. for the lulls. There's, yeah, exactly, right? Just because it would be fun. But, like, there's not. it's not like your path to the playoffs is dependent on finishing ahead of Edmonton. You, you probably have to finish ahead you of have Calgary. To, you have to finish So my answer was, like, root for Edmonton because Calgary is teetering on the brink right now. They could be done in a hurry if they don't think turn things around here with only five points through nine, nine games, games and yeah. horrible vibes and questions around that team. And like I, one, if, I still just can't get over with them. Like five point two on ice shooting clip, five on five, eight seven six save percentage. Mm-hmm. All of my instincts. I watched this team play, and I was talking about this before the season. Right, I downgraded them right before the season because I didn't think they had enough dyna- dynamic puck movers from the back end. Right, I was like, I don't, I don't see how they're going to manufacture enough offense mm-hmm. with the push that they have from the back end. I think you can see that when you watch them play. So, and yet, I just cannot, I cannot rule out a team that's got, you know, a a 54% control of shot attempts and the worst combined save percentage and um, shooting percentage in the league. Like, that that profile to me is just too, I'll, I'll never be able to abandon it. You know, like, it's too compelling, even though I don't personally... In watching the Flames play, see it. I hear point. that, except that they the hole could get too big, right? Like if they don't, if they really don't, quickly, you, you know, where it doesn't matter what what your underlying oh, results yeah, yeah. are, right? Where it's like, I mean, they could be ten points out in in a few weeks here. You know what I mean? And then yep. at that point, it's like, well, you're basically done and dusted, and that's a team out of the mix. And then you just look at it like Nashville doesn't particularly scare me you know the Kraken have really struggled then you're into kind of the plucky teams like the Coyotes and the Blackhawks and the Ducks and you never know one of them could get on a big run but I I don't think there's necessarily a lot of staying power at that end as uh, either and so you start to kind of do the math and the the overall softness of the Western Conference like that's a big I'm impressed with what I've seen from the Canucks for sure but that's also a huge part of me starting to really lean to like like, I don't know, I'm not no, ready no, to say this right now, but get to the point where it's like, the it would be a disappointment not to make the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pushing in that direction. Oh, yeah. In part because it, of what I've seen from the Canucks. It's a little early. It is. I'm not there yet. No, but, but, like, but you're right. Like, you're right. It gets late early if you start like the Flames have. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I mean think about it this way. To, to get over 94 points, so 93.2 points is the historic playoff bar in the Pacific Division since the NHL went to. Isn't it nice to not be doing this segment about the Canucks? So nice! So nice. But well, it's let's amazing. Do it. Let's do it about the Flames because we like to do it. <laughs> Got to do it about somebody. Flames are already at the point where they have to go at 101 point pace the rest of the way to get to 94. Mm-hmm. Like, that's brutal. They're already there. So, yeah, it gets late in a hurry, and that's why the Canucks being off to the start that they're at mm-hmm. is such a huge deal, right? I mean, you know, in, in contrast, the Canucks need 83 points out of their next 75. To you get know? to 94? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Man, when you put it like that, <laughs> that's, a slight, that's a hair above 500. Really? 83 out of 75? Yeah. No, I mean uh, eighty three out of seventy four, but still yeah. eighty three out of seventy four. Yeah. yeah, but still, I mean that's not like what 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 percentage is that? Like five fifty, uh, something I'll, like that. I'll do the math. You're quickly. doing it right now. Yeah, one forty eight divided by <laughs> sick radio, bro. Scintillating behind the scenes look <laughs> at how the sausage gets made. 
<laughs> Absolutely magical stuff. <laughs> but it doesn't. You've 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 entered like a hundred things into the keyboard. What's going on here? It doesn't Sorry, take that I was, many keystrokes. I was just screwing it up. Okay. Uh, Ninety-two point pace. So if they do what they did for the entire season during the Boudreaux bump year, yeah. including that twenty-five games of misery that opened the year, that's that's a good enough pace. And that team wasn't Ooh. very good. You just made me even more confident putting the math out like that. No, it's 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 incredible how powerful a good start is, right? Yep. I mean, there's a reason we've been talking about it, and there's a reason every year after the Canucks get off to one of those starts that kills you. Yeah, gets off to the Calgary start. Yep. I, I comfortably write them off months before the rest of my colleagues. It's just too hard to catch up. Now, uh, Calgary's at a point where it's not over for them yet, right? Like, no, but it gets late in a hurry. It gets late But in a they're hurry. like two weeks from it being over. Oh, you know what I mean? 100%. It could easily be over in the next two weeks. One, well, and, and they have Dallas, Seattle, Nashville, and then Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. They sort of do the same trip yeah. that the Canucks do at roughly the same time. And then Vancouver on the 16th. And it's like, you absolutely need like four of those seven games. Minimum. Mm -hmm. Minimum. And, and really, you probably need like points from five of the seven. So, yeah, no, they, the, their, their margin is evaporating quickly, and the Canucks have, are building theirs up, which is why, man, if you can get wins over Nashville and San Jose here, Woo! right, uh, you're, 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 you're building yourself that wall that we were talking about before the season is almost certain to matter for yeah. this team over the balance. 650-650 uh, is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep getting your thoughts in. iMac is going to join us in the final segment. Uh, before we hear from Ian McIntyre, let's hear – from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett after the team practiced, uh, here he is talking to the Vancouver media. Just horrible. You know, I think, um, I think Seuss, I think, played to him somehow. So, uh, yeah, he was pretty shooken up. That's, uh, I think it just shook everybody up. Um, you know, anytime anybody dies, but just the, the, the way it happened, it's, uh, it's really sad. I know you guys are creatures of habit. Yeah. Um, but when I watched practice day, I thought I might see the odd guy trying something out. Yeah, I think you might see that. I think there was a team that did it. Uh, I, I thought I thought somebody posted that there was a team actually wearing it. It might have been a minor league team, but um, I think you definitely have to look at that. And maybe there's something that we should do about that for sure. Um, that's a free, anything that can happen when you have skates on. The governing body in England has mandated today that all guys are going to be required to wear neck guards at all levels of hockey starting at the end of the year. Just your, your thoughts on them taking I mean, quick, decisive action like that. I mean, I really respect that. That's really uh, – I think that's a, a wise decision. I think we should look into it. I think uh, it's something that uh, when something like this happens, uh, you can't just say, oh, it's just a one-off. I mean, it, you just got to definitely look into this. As a coach – how do you deal with the grief factor that some of your players, you know, played with this guy, had a relationship with this guy? What do you do as a coach in that situation? You know, just support, talk. You know, um, I think when you support people with numbers, you know, people grieve in different ways. But I think when you're, you have a lot of people supporting you. And, you know, I, I, I know I don't like being alone. Um, so hopefully, um, I know Seuss is a, you know, he's obviously a big part of our team. Hopefully we have a lot of, you know, he'll, seek comfort from a lot of our players uh, being around a lot of guys we saw the bottom six sort of experimenting again is this just all in an effort to find something that's gonna provide a spark for you uh i, I really like the way garland's playing i thought bolivia was really good last game but you know he's been a guy that we've been talking about getting his i thought he was really good and 
And uh, I want to put them, you know, with those two guys together with Seussman, could be a really good energy line right now. Joshua looked like the odd man out with line rushes. Looked like you guys had a pretty good dialogue between the two of you. Um, what's the message to him? Well, it's, it's no different than early in the season. You know, he's got to get going a little bit. I just uh, There's certain parts of the game I do like, um, and he's just got to get going. You know, the, uh, uh, he knows it. You know, I just didn't, you know, I just a couple of things I don't like what he's doing right now, and he's got to drive the force. He knows it. Um, he even said, I'm not happy with my game too, but that doesn't mean he's on a lineup. I haven't made any decision. It's just that I wanted to go with, uh, I wanted to put Bo up there with Gars. I think those guys are going pretty good. Uh, it'll matter time before they break loose, you know. Winning always cures a lot of things, but when I watched when I watched what you guys did as a as a team, coaching team, end of last season you took over, and what I've seen this year, I'm seeing a hockey team out there that looks like they want to practice, that looks like they want to learn, and I see coachable moments pretty much after every drill. What are you seeing from your team? Uh, that I I think we we have the approach every day. We got to try to earn it, earn our day, and I, you know, I I think the and I'm not saying they did last year, but um, you know the word entitled. I hate the word entitlement. And I think guys like the word earning. They're earning it. Like, I thought, they, you know, they practiced hard today. You know, I thought it was a good practice. And uh, we had to go over some stuff. Um, there's a lot of line meetings, you know, individual meetings. Like, Yozzi's grabbing guys right now. Um, so I like that. And when you call a guy in your office or, hey, you guys, they're not shaking their head. They're, they want it. And actually, there's some guys that knock on your door. Hey, I want to see video with you. So when you get that. It really helps you as a coach when you get that kind of uh, buy-in. Buy in. Are you, a lot of coaches, you know, head coaches, they want to be the guy all the time. But we've seen you defer a lot to your assistants. Is that just feeling comfortable and trusting them? Yeah, I love my staff. Uh, they add a lot. Um, I get tired of hearing my voice, too, if I was a player. So I think it's important when you have an Adam Foote, Sergey Gonchar, the Twins, Yozy. You know, you can uh, you just, you know, I'd be nuts to, to, to not use those guys. So I think it's important that they run drills. Um, and it's important that the players have relationships with them. They might want to go to one of the other guys to talk about their problems. It doesn't always have to be me. So I think that's important. Um, you know, yeah, I'm the head coach. That's just a name tag. You know, those guys got a lot of autonomy for me. You're okay with just shoveling the snow? The what? You're okay with just shoveling the snow? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, Actually, I used to that. Not bad, not bad, not bad. Where, where, where yeah. are you with uh, Mikheyev as a penalty killer? We saw him get, uh, I think, a turn the other night. And obviously, he's going to be part of your rotation at some point, I think. But where is he? Yeah, I, I, I was just concerned about minutes. Um, and um, I thought he was a little bit tired. You know, he played back-to-back. Um, so, but I got to get him definitely. You know, when I'm playing Petey and Millsy that much in that game, um, I think Mick can really help us out, take some of those minutes down, um, even the other guys. So um, especially if we have a lot of power plays, uh, it's important that I get those other guys in the penalty kill. Um, but yeah, he's a he's a guy that penalty killed last year um, at the beginning of the year, and uh, we got to start to get him in the rotation for sure. I mean, there were a ton of special teams both ways, and then overtime. But were you surprised to see twenty-seven oh three for? Yeah, I was shocked it was that much, but yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of made a mistake. I think I should have used the second on the power play a little bit more. You know, I thought uh, that's why those minutes were up, and I thought it got a little sloppy uh, because of that. I thought some of those guys were tired, so that's my fault. How's it been for you to get to know Daniel and Henrik in the last couple of years? Is there anything surprising for you about 
Well, the passion they have for the game and how excited when I got here, not that I, that I asked them to help me out, their, the excitement. Like, I didn't, I mean, that's what really turned, you know, I got really excited when they were so excited to come and be part of it. So they're here every day, you know, other than on the road. You know, they're here at 7.30. Um, and they got special projects that they do for me. And, um, you know, I think Hoglander the last couple of games has been really good. And I think that's because of those guys spending some time with them in the, in the video room. You know, things like that. You can see it, it's, uh, we're chipping away at certain guys' games because of those guys. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking today uh, just a few minutes ago, really, at Rogers Arena after the team practice. And, you know, talking about the bottom six, as we were mentioning, a little bit of a shuffle at practice today in the bottom six lines. Reference specifically, Beauvillier and Garland, he thinks, are playing well. They'll go together on the third line. And I did think it was interesting at the end of the availability there, Drancer, you know, specifically referencing that he likes the progression he's seeing in Niels Hoaglander's game and crediting some of that to... Uh, doing the video work with the Sedin twins and, and getting that, that element in there for Niels Hoaglanders. He starts to not perfect the staples, but hopefully add more of the brick tocket staples into his game. Yeah. Oh, his issues are so clearly the stuff you can learn, mm. you know, and his engine and motor is so high. And I think having a predictable role, something that he really hasn't, you know, really didn't have after green was fired. Um, you know, I, I think if he has that all season, you know, and I, I love the model, like keep him on the fourth line. Yeah. Don't don't put him in a rotation with your Stadnika, Beauvillier, Joshua tier where like these guys have been pros. They're older. You know, their yeah. ceilings not as high. You know, don't don't do that. He shouldn't be going back to the press box. He should be on the nine minute, you know, nine to 11 minute. Maybe you play a little more if you're playing really well and going and the team needs you, but, you know, don't crush him for mistakes. Keep him in the lineup. Keep him doing his thing because there's, there's a lot of talent here. I think especially when Bluger gets back in and that's a fourth line that is not going to be necessarily be like a shelter to some fourth lines are. You know what I mean? They can have a very clear, dependable yep. role in a game. I think that makes a lot of sense uh, for Niels Hoaglander. Final segment coming up. Our guy, the triple threat, IMAC, Ian McIntyre, uh, will join us in the last segment. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I just had to sneak in some... uh... Some fantasy football talk in the break there before we. Oh, you didn't play. You didn't play Omatic for me. I'll have to do it. At oh, right. I'll have to no, do we'll it do it after the show. Them. Okay. But but then uh, you can't confirm. I that pretty I much just want to leave me. after the show. <laughs> I really need to stick around and hang out more. Yeah, well, I'm not that kind of guy. Just, you just have to listen to the lead-in for like three songs, That's and you'll be true. like, "Oh, right, good point. Uh, maybe, My bad. Maybe I was wrong." Uh, 
somebody texted him. We were talking about Boston just consistently being excellent, and they said Boston is the Barney getting kicked out of Moe's meme from The Simpsons, where right. you throw them out. You're like, all right, see you guys. And then they're have fun you. in the lottery, and then they're like, oh, first place, 15 <laughs> out of 16 points. What are you going to do about it? Like, they're uh, so annoying. Apparently nothing, because yes, you are so so annoying. Uh, right now on the line, not annoying at all. A pleasure to have on the line whenever we can get him. He is the triple threat from Sportsnet. Uh, this insider brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. He is Ian McIntyre. Uh, iMac, thanks as always for doing this. How are you today? Well, I'm glad I'm not annoying you so far, but <laughs> give it time. Never. It time. I, yeah, I was actually on my way home uh, from practice to write, uh-huh. and uh, I, I don't like you know, trying to do these hits hands-free while I'm driving. So safe driver that I am, I pulled off the road and I was right into Thomas Drance's neighborhood. I'm oh, you know, wow. turned left on, on Angus drive, wow. went up to the present, you know, in uh, South Granville, all the mansions, which yeah. one's yours, Thomas? <laughs> no, no, I'm i uh, I'm farther up. <laughs> I'm farther right. up, um, and and also this is where it's I grew definitely up. Definitely not my neighborhood. I'll tell you. I'll <laughs> tell you that much. I'm at. This is where I grew up. I will say. I will say. I grew up on one of those streets where like all the other homes were redesigned except my family home. You know what I mean? So it was like mansion, mansion, yeah. mansion. My bungalow. crummy, my crummy. Like yeah, it was it was a bungalow, but it was like yeah. a classic stucco. You know nice. what I mean? Yes. Vancouver yeah. home. So yeah, I mean that's that's where I grew up. Nice neighborhood. All right. In the in the well, most normal house on the street. Well, my my neighborhood isn't full of mansions, uh, <laughs> but but since we moved in in '05, every house adjoining us has been knocked down and and rebuilt or a mm. huge addition. But we're still getting by. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Circa, circa 1971 construction. I, See, I, I take pride so, in that. Yeah. I took pride in that growing up too. I was like. I moved into where I, I live like two years ago, and half the things on the block have been knocked down already. So that's just, that's just something about Vancouver that leads to that uh, pretty ha- happening pretty consistently. Um, so three out of four points on the weekend uh, from the Blues and the Rangers games, iMac. And I thought it was interesting after the Rangers game, which, you know, they don't get the, the two points, just the one from overtime. Rick Tockett said that he thought the team was starting to build an identity. Do you see that as well right now with how the Canucks are playing? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is uh, incredibly rapid evolution from what this team was. Now, I think we understood the principles of it last year when Talkit came in, it, but it was it was more theoretical, right? They mm. they he was trying to change some ideas on the fly and you know get them to pay a little more attention defending get guys to work a little harder and a little more consistently get guys to work in practice but it was it was very much just sort of broad strokes and and you couldn't really see any kind of any kind of picture forming and uh through these first what are we now two two and a half weeks no three weeks i guess no two and a half weeks of the season uh, we're actually seeing we're seeing the picture start to take shape, and and it's it's pretty impressive what they've been able to accomplish uh, through eight games. Now that said, that means there's 74 games to yeah. go, so we're a long way. We're a long way from knowing what this team is actually going to to be. But when you see like these back-to-back games, and, and I would say. You know, for me, 
and Thomas and I were on that road trip, I, I think you need to include the Nashville game mm-hmm. into this grouping because in some respect, each of these games were exceptional tests for, for various reasons, for circumstance and opponent, the travel and stuff. So that's five out of six points from these games. And I think in these three games especially, we're, we can see what, what it is that Talkit is trying to do. We, we, we were a long way from being the finished, finished uh, piece, but we see pretty clearly what it is they're trying, they're trying to get to because in all, all three of these games, unlike uh, four of the five that preceded them, the team has pretty much been good from start to finish. Yeah, there's, you know, they were better in the first half against St. Louis than they were in the second half. But then to come back uh, 24 hours later and be good from start to finish, they outplayed the Rangers, not by a lot, but by a little at even strength through, throughout the game. There was no lulls. Remember the, uh, or some of those early games, even the ones they would win, they'd just be dominated for stretches or a period, an entire period. Uh, that hasn't happened these last three games and again because these three games for for various reasons were all sort of exceptional tests for them uh i i I think it's pretty impressive uh what they were able to do and in terms of you know they're building an identity is it fair to say ian that the identity is includes a lot more uh, defensive solidity than maybe we might have expected because I look and I think you're right including the last 3 games into this group the thing that's really stood out to me is just how little that they have allowed the other team to generate especially at even strength and I think you're absolutely right that continued in the Rangers game uh where you know they score in the power play but they did, really didn't get much of a sniff at 5 on 5 yeah I mean what was it 24 shots I think in total mm-hmm. for the Rangers uh 18 shots for Nashville on that road trip. And I don't know what St. Louis had. There was some score effect once they were down by four, but uh, still not an exceptional number of shots. And, and games two through two, three, and four, it was basically 40 shots a game. Yeah. And even though they were, they were having more success. And even though giving up those 40 shots, you could see there was still a lot more structure and backbone to them than what they looked like last year when they were giving up 40 shots a game. It's still an awful lot of shots to give up. And now I, I think we're seeing in these games just how tough they can be, how difficult they can be to play against when they're doing the things that Talkit wants. You know, when they're when they're defending by going forward, and when they're winning uh, the puck battles. And of course, you, you you need there's a basic element of structure that people have to be in the right place at the right time. That kind of goes without saying. But then on top of that. You, you add some of these intangibles like winning puck battles and, and, and getting there first in, instead of second and beating the other team back uh, to your end on the back check. So you're not chasing. You're, you're in front of them playing on the right side of the puck. They are uh, like any team would be when you play that way. They're, they're tough to break down. And, and I think a lot of, you know, talk it's, principle is just about being really difficult to play against and and making the other other team earn everything they have because if you have if you have a team that does that and you have some world-class offensive talent 
And we can argue about, you know, the, the depth of that talent and, and whether it's enough. But you certainly cannot argue, no matter where they appear on various lists of best of, you cannot argue that, that Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and Thatcher Demko are world class. And right now, JT Miller is, mm-hmm. is just a beast as a two-way center on a matchup line that also contributes offense. So you, you add those individual players on top at the top of a group that is playing so much more cohesively with more speed and intensity and just far better structure than anything that we saw last year. That's a recipe to have success. You're going to win a lot more games than you lose when you do that. You know, I want to ask you about a pair that currently um, among all defense pairs leads the NHL in shot attempt differential um, among all duos that have played at least 40 minutes i'm talking of course about ian cole and friedman what are you seeing from this canuck second pair (laughs) well friedman friedman has added something to this group and you know when they when they made the deal it, it kind of felt like you know not much of a deal and and maybe in the end maybe a month from now we're not talking about mark friedman um but he's added something to the group. He's added, you know, a little more speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he certainly has looked better than, than Juleson, although, you know, to be fair, uh, Juleson or anybody else needs to play more games before you can really make an assessment. But he's, he's given the Canucks just a little something. I think the other part of that, though, is he, I think the transition was a little bit uneven for Ian Cole at the start. I think he had a couple of really good games, and I know he had a couple of games where he wanted to be a lot better as well. I think he's starting to really get get comfortable. And uh, and he's another one of those players, Cole is, as most of them are, they're going to look better when the structure around them is, is solid. And, and Tyler Myers is the best example of this. But I, I just think that, you know, Cole and Friedman have been good. They haven't been, I don't think they've been brilliant, but they've, they've, they've certainly been good enough uh, to hold down the minutes that they're getting on a team that's had, that's had a pretty good start. The problem with the, uh, the defense, as you guys know, is there's still, you know, not, not the depth there. And, mm. and the bottom of it isn't nearly as strong as the top. And most teams aren't, but some, t- a lot of teams, especially a lot of good teams, are maybe a little more insulated against injuries and able to play uh, without their top players. You would shudder, you know, well, what happens if Quinn Hughes gets hurt or, or Philip Ronick? But so far, that, that group as a whole, one through six, I think has been better than anybody thought they would be. Mm. And, and I think you could say that pretty much about every pairing, like each pair has been better. Not that we didn't know that Quinn was a great player, but we didn't see him with Ronick at all uh, in, in the preseason. And the fact that they've been literally one of the best pairings in the NHL to this, to this point, I, I think you have to say that it's better than what most people thought. I think you could say the same thing about the guys playing behind them. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit, Mac, while I was booking my travel uh, for, you know, Ottawa, Toronto, the next road trip that I'm going on. And I was thinking, man, if the Canucks can keep this up for four more games, and you don't have to go 4-0, and but, you know, 2-1-1 uh, and one or something like that, so that you go east 
with the wind at your back and, you know, something like a 6-3-2 and two record, right? What, what do you think that could mean for the recognition that Quinn Hughes, right, who specifically called out Eastern Media for not watching their games, Elias Pettersson, and the, and the contract situation and the curiosity around him. JT Miller, suddenly quiet around him. Thatcher Demko, like, what opportunity exists for this team as a group, but also some of their highest profile players individually, if you can go on a barnstorming tour of Eastern Canada uh, riding high? Well, I, th- I think there's always an opportunity. And, and it is very interesting historically, because I remember, for instance, uh, if you go back to the 19, late 90s, mm. when Matthias Oland was a rookie, and the first time the Canucks made a, a circuit through Eastern Canada, and people were blown, like, who's this guy, Oland? Like, <laughs> man, is he good. And it was the same thing, uh, I remember Kevin Bieksa, and, and part of the reason people remember Bieksa is because Bob Cole had a hard time with his name. You know, and, on, and Don, uh, Cherry. On Don, Don Cherry, yeah. Everyone had a pro- uh, on, hard time with BX's name. <laughs> right. But but the reason they're having a hard time with his name is they, they needed to talk about him mm. so much because it, because he really opened eyes. I, I think, and I hear what you're, you're saying, Thomas, and, and it is, like, for people who have never been to a game uh, in Toronto on a Saturday night, there's nothing else like, and Montreal's always a special place to play. And, and I'm saying this as as a born and bred West coast guy who, you know, has anti Toronto DNA built into him by birth. Like, cause that's how we are in, in Western Canada, but those are incredible places to go. And there's, it's always, a, it feels like a stage uh, bigger than almost any other. Uh, I mean, New York and Madison square is the same yep. way as well. So, so there's always that opportunity the, the thing that surprises me a little bit to this point in their careers is uh, and not getting maybe the love that they deserve. You know, we've been seeing this to some extent since they arrived, you know, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. I mean, one won the Calder Trophy. The other was the runner-up in uh, to a guy in Kale McCarr. This is when Quinn Hughes finished second. Mm-hmm. To, a, to a guy who might be the best defenseman to come along in 30 years. And so it's not, it's not novel that they're playing at an elite level and are among the best in their position. So I, I, I'm not sure that, like people who don't think that Quinn Hughes is already a world-class defenseman or let's say a top, even top 10 and top 10 is, is being modest for how he's playing right now. People who don't think that after the four years that he's been in the league, I'm not sure that you can change their mind uh, because I think that, they probably have their minds made up that he's not this or he's not that, or Pedersen's not this and not that. I do think, however, and especially Hughes is playing the best that he's ever played. I think Petey actually probably has another level to yep. him, even though he's been, he's been fabulous. I agree. Uh, I, I think where they can change sort of the impression of them is in the context of the team. Like if the Canucks go into Toronto on a Saturday night and beat, beat the Maple Leafs on hockey night in Canada, people notice. Mm. And, and then Montreal's had a better start than a lot of people thought. And, and you go, you get a chance to go the next night and you know, that's a really hard back to back. But if, if you come out with a couple of wins, then, then people notice. And, and that I think 
changes what a lot of people will think of the Canucks. And maybe, maybe it gives their best players, the leaders of that Canucks team, a little more credit from, from others. But I, you know, I, I don't think it's such a bad thing that people outside of, of Vancouver don't realize how good Quinn Hughes is because I think it's a lot of fuel for him right now. And I think that's one thing that both Quinn and Ilias have in common is that growing up, they had so many uh, people tell them they weren't this, they weren't that. Yeah, you can do this, but they were like, yeah, but players. Mm. And I think that has fueled them uh, to this point, certainly to get the NHL, but I think it continues to fuel them to try to prove to, to people who don't think they're as good as they are, that they're actually world-class and, and, and better than those people think. So I think with Hughes, he kind of threw the gauntlet down, Mac, and, and thinking about it, like last year when the Canucks went into Toronto, uh, Hall of Fame weekend, and there was no suspense in the game. Like they were just at sort of their lowest point. They lost that night. They got steamrolled in Boston the next night. And, you know, it, it, it felt kind of hopeless. The, the, Hughes's only season where he wasn't, you know, capital G great was the the all Canadian season where the Eastern audience saw him far more regularly than they would normally. Like I do think for Hughes in particular, if he's looking like this and he does it at seven p.m. Eastern time, um, you know, three times in four nights, I I think it's going to matter a lot in terms of changing his perception. This is a new yeah. guy, in my view. Yeah. I, I mean, Quinn is playing at another level, and mm-hmm. we've, we've talked about that already, as good as he has been, and I've just been raving about what he's done uh, through four years to get people's attention. He is playing he is playing at another level now. I, I, I thought it was really interesting, and, and of course, when we, those of us who cover 18, you know, right. by definition, when I'm at a hockey game, I'm watching the Canucks more mm. closely than I'm watching the opposition. But, you know, was Quinn Hughes more noticeable in that game than Adam Fox? Oh, the, it's not close. I, I honestly, yeah. it's a psyop that people think Adam Fox is better than Quinn Hughes. Like, it makes no yeah. sense. Yeah. And, and then in Nashville, you know, they, they have Roman Yossi, who's, I, I know now, sort of at a different stage of his career and maybe not quite as dominant. But I, I just see, and I noticed it last year, like, you know, all the hype that Heiskanen gets in Dallas. And I watched Dallas really closely because I covered, you know, uh, their playoff series. And, and Heiskanen is a great player. Yeah, I mean, he's I'm not, amazing. I, I'm not suggesting he's not. But on a night-to-night basis, when I'm watching the Canucks and covering this team, I'm noticing Quinn Hughes do incredible things every night. I, I'm not noticing it the same way with Miro Heiskanen, even though he is a great player. And... And Heiskanen is, is, you know, part of what makes him so special is, is he, he works so hard at both ends. Like he's the mm-hmm. guy who's not sacrificing the defensive zone just to try and get himself points. And he is a great player. But in terms of, you know, dynamicism and, you know, the ability to make plays that even in the best league in the world are exceptional and get other players to notice, uh, I just... I, I don't see anybody right now who, well, I mean, Kale McCarr in yeah. Colorado, but I don't see many of these other guys outplaying, outdoing what Quinn Hughes is doing right now. 
so we're we're running a little short on time, but I want to I want to throw something at you and get your response to it before we wind down. Because um, I remember dealing with this while while stumping hard professionally for Sasha Barkov to win the Selkie, and his prime competition was Sean Couturier, who we saw play fantastic hockey in Philadelphia not too long ago. And Couturier is amazing, but Barkov always had gravity. Like, he bent the game in a totally different way because everyone knew, you know, when he was on the ice and, and the way the game looked shifted the moment he stepped on the ice. For me, that's what Hughes has, and I just don't see whether it's Rasmus Dahlin or Haskinen or Fox or anyone other than Kale McCarr. Like, I, I don't see them bending the game that way based on how everyone reacts to Quinn Hughes when he steps on. Yeah, I, I I would agree with you there, and and our listeners may not know Thomas. You and I do not always see eye to eye on things and uh, and on <laughs> players, but we we agree we agree on that. I mean, what is like what Quinn Hughes's is partner, Wainwright? right? <laughs> yes, yes. I think a lot more of them than you do. Yeah, but but I think I think maybe you're going to come around a little bit. Oh, my way I, of thinking, and I think your together. take's going to be like a puck over glass on the PK. <laughs> possibly possibly we'll, we'll see but what what is quinn is is i can't i should have looked this up before i came on radio but is it 16-1 now the canucks have outshot or outscored the opposition in all situations with quinn on the ice yeah, it's it's, it, it's it, something a wild like number yeah. yeah yeah it's either 16-1 after the before or after the new york game but I mean, that's silly like nobody, nobody yeah. should be able to do that in the National Hockey League. Remember, he's playing against the other team's best players as well. Like he's not, he's not getting easy matchups. Sixteen he's not getting the other team's third line, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and I know all, it's all situations, so it's not really a stat that anyone is going to take too seriously. But if you look at the five on five, nine to one, it's 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 almost as dominant, yeah. right? And and the reason I think that the the total uh for and against still has some merit is because he he now Quinn Hughes he plays almost as much penalty kill as he does on the powerful. Well maybe not almost as much, but he plays a lot of penalty kill. So he's he's on for situations where the other team has a good chance to score and they're still not scoring when he's on the ice. So uh, I just uh, it's hard for me to envision any one player in the National Hockey League, to this point, being more impactful for his team and on the outcome of games is what Quinn Hughes has been. Testify. Amen. Let's go, Mac. <laughs> we we got to let you go. This was a lot of fun. This was, this was more common ground between you and Dranser than I was expecting, but this was fun. We should do it again soon. All right. Well, just wait till the team loses, yeah. and we'll probably disagree on a lot of stuff. So. <laughs> Thank you, Imac. Enjoy your day. All right, thanks, guys. That is uh, Sportsnet's Ian McIntyre. Ian McIntyre. Um, the, the combination of you two, very dangerous for clock management purposes. For sure. <laughs> well, I know we got to go, but the only reason we agreed so much is that I didn't go after him for the identity stuff the way I went after you. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, the inside, This Insider brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the work site. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. That's it for us. We're back tomorrow here on Sportsnet 650.